We often talk about getting to the heart of the matter. We understand that means drilling down below the surface, dusting away the superficial externals of things, and really getting to the truth. And really, the Bible has a lot to say about our heart, and we spent some time last Sunday morning looking at that with regard to our series. And the series we've been doing here at the end of chapter 4 of Proverbs is the idea of watching yourself. Well, that's a, that's a needful thing for us to do. Uh, it's easy for us to uh, think about driving in this vicinity, you know, in this uh, Grand Strand area. And a lot of times people talk, yeah, be a defensive driver. And, and we need that, right? We need to be a defensive driver. We need to keep our eye on the other guy. Uh, but in doing so, <laughs> let's make sure we're watching ourselves as we drive, right? Uh, because a lot of times we get so caught up in peripheral things, we lose sight of our own, uh, what's going on inside the cabin of our own car and uh, how we're driving. And uh, it's so easy to make a misjudgment, right? Uh, without even realizing. I've had some, some close calls, uh, thinking I'm watching my mirrors, got the little circles in the side view so I can see my blind spots, but it only takes a split second, doesn't it? Well, that's just driving, but what about when we're navigating spiritually through life? That's an entirely different matter of greater importance. And so we do need to watch ourselves, and specifically today we're going to be talking from verse 24 about the need to, to watch our speech. Uh, David expressed his concern for going wayward with his mouth. In Psalm 141, verse 3, he said, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. And boy, there's, uh, this is one of those topics when you talk about the tongue, the mouth, conversation, speech. I mean, it's right where we live, right, isn't it, folks? I mean, uh, there isn't anybody that's exempt that would say, yeah, I've never had a problem with, you know, making a statement that I wish that I could have grabbed back, uh, hasty, or maybe I didn't speak up when I should have in some category. Uh, and, you know, you walk away and it's like, wish I could have thought of that, right, a few minutes ago. Uh, and to realize that mm, that sounded more like me than the Holy Spirit in me. And I regret that. So many things about the importance of this. And, and I like what David's saying in this verse because he realizes he needs help. He needs help with the watching aspect. He's asking God, set a sentries, put a guard, if you would. Uh, help me out in this way. And really by his asking that shows that he was being vigilant. I can't even keep track of my own lips. And if David is saying that a man after God's own heart, isn't that true of all of us? That we can't even keep track of what's coming out of our mouth and we'll never turn over a new leaf adequately enough by ourselves. We need God's divine intervention. Uh, this is, uh, that is a very discerning because James tells us in James 3, 6 that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. There's been lots of damage that have been done over the years in 
governmental bodies by someone that would speak out in a way very rashly and say things that are very damaging. There's been families that have been broken apart because of fiery speech. There's been churches that have been splintered and to some degree, in some cases, no longer in existence as that particular local body of believers. And you trace it back and say, you know, what happened? It's just like, well, we had this business meeting, (laughs) you know, and it goes on to describe. And boy, there was just exchange, this volley of words, you know, of people catapulting this and that back and forth at each other. And there was these fiery words. And there's like any time fire is left unchecked, It incinerates, it does damage, and it leaves a lot of devastation in its path. Words are powerful, folks. Talk is troublesome sometimes. So, having considered already here in Proverbs chapter 4, the idea about uh, God's Word in verses 20 through 22, that's where we began, about the importance of giving attention to the Word of God, Then we talked about uh, watching our spirit, and today we're talking about watching our speech. Tonight we'll talk about watching our sight. That sounds like an oxymoron, right? Watching and sight are kind of the same thing, but we need to watch out for what we're looking upon is the idea. And then next Lord's Day in the morning, we'll talk about watching our steps, spiritually speaking. And so here today, as we talk about watching our speech, there's really just two big categories I want us to cover from this particular verse. And then we're going to look at uh, various and sundry other scriptures that I think that support and give us understanding about what exactly is being talked about here uh, in verse 24. But the verse part of the phrase says, put away from thee a froward mouth. What does that mean? Well, let me paraphrase it this way. You must avoid speech that is distorting. You need to avoid speech, talk in your life that distorts. We don't use the word froward. I, I doubt that in the last year you said, wow, he has, that, that fellow has froward speech, right? Uh, it's in our Bibles. Uh, it's in the authorized version. A lot of other translations in the English have, have chosen to put other words there that are more meaningful for the way we talk today and so really when you drill down into the original meaning of the Hebrew you find out that this word froward just has the idea of speech that has a distorting effect this is referring to talk that distorts truth this is speech that would distort righteousness this phrase, this word that's used here is, is contrasted just to give us a better understanding. In 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 27, he uses the word froward, but then he contrasts it with the word pure. Well, we know what purity is, so that will help us to understand as we see those as counters. He says, with the pure, talking about God, thou wilt show thyself pure. In other words, for people that... This is their approach to life. They want to live a pure, unadulterated approach, spiritually speaking, to life. Then God is going to manifest himself in a pure fashion, undiluted, clear to understand. 
But then he says also, in contrast, with those that are froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. And again, the idea there, is literally that word means a struggle. And there's a lot of people that are struggling with their concept of God. Well, lost people definitely do that, right? And you think, you know, why, you know, I just, you know, God's just hard for me to wrap my mind around. And why would a God of the Bible be this way? And why would he be that way? And they think that the problem is that God's hard to conceive of. But really the problem and the struggle comes from within the person themselves. Why do we know that? Well, there's still a lot that is mystifying to us about God because he's God. There are the secret things, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, that belong unto God. But there are things that he has revealed to us. But, but there will always be those things that make us scratch our head and just say, well, it's just impossible for me to wrap my mind around. And that's part of what makes God, God. But at the same point, there is an element to us once we become redeemed and the Spirit of God moves in and lives within us, helps us discern the Scriptures, to help us to really embrace the concept of God and how He works, how He works in our personal lives as a little bit easier for us to obtain and to receive. And even though we don't always feel like we're clued in on the whys and the wherefores, it's not a struggle as much for us. We can trust, we see that God is a faithful creator, a loving God, that he does have a purpose that maybe just isn't revealed to us yet. But for people who are themselves distorting life, especially with how they talk, they are forward individuals, they're going to find that this whole idea of God a constant struggle in their life. But for those that say, you know, I just want to simply and purely walk with God, then God will reveal himself in simple fashions for us. Isn't that such a blessing to realize that's how it works in the Christian life? So what does the lack of purity mean? Well, part of it means there's a lack of clarity. Clarity has been uh, compromised when one allows froward speech into their life. The idea of a, a distorted speech in their life. Now, that makes sense if you think about it. Why? Because they're, what they're saying, what's coming out of them, is distorted. It means that they have a skewed philosophy in some areas of their life. They have a... Uh, unbiblical world view, to use another phraseology. And you say, what's a world view? It's the idea of how we view the world. And that encompasses everything. That, that would talk about, do I have a biblical view of the world when it comes to economics? Do I have a biblical view of the world when it comes to government? Do I have a biblical world view when it comes to social relationships? I mean, it, there isn't an there isn't an area, folks, where the Bible isn't relevant and doesn't expect it to touch our lives where we live. And the world wants to espouse things like 
social justice, critical race theories, some of these, these phrases and ideas that you see heard bounced around in the media and stuff like that. And it's very important that we as believers say, hmm, how does that square with what the Word of God says? And so we also need to then watch this. What, what's coming out of ours? What, what kind of philosophy do I hear myself saying? Is it matching with what the Word of God, not just says in specific phrases of Scripture, but in the context of Scripture as well? You know, because it's very easy for people to grab a verse or a phrase here and to use it and sometimes to twist it out of really what God intended it to mean in the first place. And then you start reading the scripture in bulk, right? And that's why it's really important to, to read your scripture and then to read around it and keep fleshing out and saying, okay, what's really the big picture that's going on here? We need to understand that. We need to make sure that we're not only accurate in our details of what we say, but also we're, the way we package our statements, because we can say things in a certain way, while the words themselves may be truthful, we might mislead, we might misrepresent. Uh, a person might distort their financial situation, talking about personal finances, involved in a conversation with someone, and they might just be relating something, and they might distort their financial situation so that others might see them in a more favorable light. And you know what, that can go either way in the plus or minus when it comes to finances. There are times that someone might, you know, say things a certain way so that people will think they actually have more wealth than they really do. And they might be looking for prominence. They might be looking for people to admire them for their financial accomplishments. And, well, I didn't actually say that I, you know, made that kind of salary. They they, I don't know where they got that idea. But you know what? It can go the other way, too, when it comes to our finances. We can talk down because we, we realize, well, if, if people don't think that I am at a certain economic level, then, then they won't expect very much from me. I, I don't have to be a giver. Uh, I can sort of hold on to it because, you know, oh, you know, I can't afford that, you know, and... And so we can, we can misrepresent things. It usually crops up after a period of time of being around people where you begin to see inconsistencies in one area or the other. It's like, hmm, they kind of led me to believe this, even though they didn't come right out and say it. And this is the idea of distortion. This is the idea of froward in our conversation with regard to that. A person might distort their capabilities so that they might obtain a preferred position. Uh, not necessarily bragging, uh, per se. There's a, there's a humble approach to bragging, so it doesn't sound arrogant. And you can just be relating incident after incident, you know, so that you're, and the idea is subconsciously, you're filling someone's mind with the ideas like, wow, you know, I guess they're just really equipped well at this as they go on and say this, that, and the other thing about it. So we need to be careful. A person might distort the current conditions 
that they find themselves in to, to leverage an outcome. And I, I think there's some of this even with regard to the COVID-19. Some of my pastor friends and I have discussed this. And one of the things that, that grieves us as pastors is sometimes seeing within churches the uh, almost the coming up with sex and the, uh, the schisms because of the various opinions when it comes to COVID-19. And, and there's a dividing sometimes of the body of Christ. And there is this idea that I'm wondering, because this person doesn't share my opinion, or the same degree of concern, or maybe I'm on the other scale, I don't have as much concern about it, and I'm just sort of trusting God with it, so I'm not taking as many precautions, perhaps. You know, does this person think that I'm being very cavalier and reckless, and therefore, you know, they don't have the opinion of me, they don't respect me like they once did, or vice versa? Does this person think that I'm a hypochondriac? You know, because I I haven't left my house since last March. You know, I think I'm being cautious. But what do my brothers and sisters in Christ feel about me in this way? And 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 yet we can say things in conversations. We need to be careful about that, that we're not misrepresenting our current conditions to try to pull people necessarily over to our way of thinking. So we'll build a camp around us. No, we want the unity of the body. We don't want camps. We want camp, right? A froward speech can do a lot to, to divide things up. We could be talking about other topics like voter fraud. There's a hot topic, right? And, you know, I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but what I do see, you know, I, could, I can see, you know, the 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 different groups developing, you know, even among Christianity with regard to the claims, you know, even among conservatives, even those of the same political party with regard to this. We could talk about discrimination, and we could talk about bias, and all of these are areas. The folks are right where we live. And the question is, are we being cautious? Are we setting a watch on our mouth? Are we asking God to set a watch on our mouth? And are we being cautious to avoid distorting speech? Froward speech could be positive statements like self-promotion. We need to guard against that. Just, you know, saying too many flowery things about ourselves and talking about our accomplishments. And, you know, there's a fine line there because we want to give God glory. And it's almost impossible to share a testimony about what God's done in your life without wondering, now, will people think that I'm, I'm boasting because God did this for me? I mean, I'm giving God the glory, but it's still sort of about me. So we walk away sometimes thinking, you know, where's the balance? There. With these sorts of things, we really that's why we really need to be praying and say, God, you have to be the one that sets the watch on my mouth. I need to be sensitive to your spirit so that my motives are pure, so that I know before you that what I'm doing, but I also am wise and discerning when it comes to what I am doing here. Embellishing an account. 
exaggerating a situation, evasiveness, you know, uh, you know what evasiveness, right, is where it, just watch a couple political debates. You'll, you'll get a good schooling as to what evasiveness is. I'm sorry, sir, that's not the question. And they rephrase it. And, and it's like, okay, you know, and, they, and, and, it, and it's like, well, they must have answered it because, man, the way they explain that. But I still don't think that answered the question. So I, it must just be me, right? Is it just me? Evasiveness. Flattering someone, right? What's the difference between complimenting someone and flattering someone? Oh, that's a, that's a difficult one. But is it maybe perhaps what our motive is behind what we're saying? And, and maybe that we're going a little overboard in what we're saying, you know, by saying this about them because we're, we're trying to get them on our side or, or we're trying to get them to sort of give it back to us in a positive way as well. We need to be careful about that. We need to be careful about minimizing an error. There's falsehood out there, folks. Some people think, oh, well, I'm not going to denigrate anybody. I'm not going to speak ill of anybody. Well, that's not necessarily the right approach either. Did Jesus reveal falsehood in his ministry? Without a doubt. I mean, and he did it kind of in an in-your-face way sometimes with those Pharisees and Sadducees. Why did sepulchers full of dead man's bones? He said, oh, did they actually hear that? No, he, he knew they were there. He's, talking, he's not talking about them. He's talking to them, right? Why? They were guilty of some very egregious spiritual activity. They were pulling down the spiritual well-being of the nation of Israel by their approach to religion. And so Jesus was not shy. He did not hold back when the, the setting was right to call them on the carpet and then to teach the simple that were around him. Because they were just blind leaders of the blind is what the Pharisees and Sadducees were. That's another way he describes them. And sometimes I've heard people say, oh, you know, that church over there, they're actually naming, mentioning, you know, certain religious leaders and saying that this is unbiblical what they're doing. Well, if what they're saying or doing is unbiblical, then the Bible says, mark that man. And so it's not a froward thing. It's not a distorting thing to accurately highlight and bring into the perspective of God's people what's actually going on there. It would actually be froward or distorting to get up time and time again and to just brush that under the carpet. So we do need to understand how this works to the to these, to some, these tactics might seem harmless, this evasiveness, this uh, minimizing of error, this flattering, all these things. Well, you know, that's not like going out and murdering someone. You, you ever notice how everybody compares everything to mass murders? So it's like, you know, yeah, I don't have a, you know, a backyard full of shallow graves, so I guess everything I do must be okay, right? No. 
these are actually, in many ways, more dangerous. Why do I say that? Because they seem more polite. Now, sin is sin. Without a question, sin, the Bible defines it, sin is the transgressing of the law. You break God's law, that's sin. Has God said it? It's wrong. God says, don't bear false witness. If you bear false witness, you've sinned. You've broken the law. If God says, thou shalt not murder, then you've broken the law if you murder someone. He also says the same thing about not coveting. But we sort of kind of create a triage list, don't we, of God's commands? Some have greater impact and have sort of in this life more repercussions than others. And for certain, you know, me secretly coveting something that nobody else will ever find out about doesn't have nearly the repercussions as a hundred dead bodies in my backyard. We understand that. But in God's eyes, I have broken his law just the same. And the danger thing is we begin to give ourselves passes. Jerry Bridgers wrote a book, the ladies used it some years ago for their ladies' Bible study. Uh, and now all of a sudden I lose the respectable sense. And, you know, and that's a, isn't that a catchy title? Respectable sense? And they're like, sin, respectable? The point he makes, and he, and he hits some of these what I'm calling polite sense, you know, it's just like, you know, well, you shouldn't do that, you know, but we realize that everybody does, yeah, but that is the deceptiveness of those sins, we don't get broken over those things, and we ought to, folks, we ought to be broken over conversation when our when our lips don't speak forth righteousness, but speak forth vanity and profane things and perversity and distortions. We ought to be broken over that. That ought to cause us to weep before God. Should it not? Because we realize we are breaking God's laws. So beware of camouflaging reality. Beware of camouflaging reality. Glass. We look through glass all the time. You know, you only notice, you only think about the glass when it's dirty. Because then all of a sudden it's not doing its job as it should. You shouldn't look at glass and really notice the glass if it's good, like a window. You just, you're, what you want to see is what's on the other side of the window, Right? You know, or I've got glasses on, okay? And hopefully, I don't even think about my glasses. You know when I notice them? is when there's a big smudge right, you know, or a little fleck right here, you know? And, you know, I, I remember when I first began to re wear cheaters, you know, reading glasses. You know, and I'd, I'd be looking down at something, and I'm like, well, there's a smudge on my Bible right there. I keep wiping it, and, and I realize it's on my thumb, you know? And I look, and, oh, it's on my computer screen. Oh, wait. It's on my glasses, right? And so there's a distortion. There's a distortion. And, and, and it gets our attention when that happens. Perception of a situation or of another person that comes through distorted speech is going to result in confusion. 
with an inability to gather accurate facts and therefore problems will result. This is where gossip can be a real problem. A group of people talking. A lot of what is said is true, but things are being misrepresented. An individual is cast in a certain way. Some people walk away from that environment, and they've been impacted. And so now those people are going to have difficulty relating to the person who was the subject of the conversation. That's why you have to be really careful about not distorting with our speech. The commanded action here in this verse with regard to the froward mouth is to do what with it? Put it away. Put it away. Say, well, what, what does that mean? I mean, I think I know what it means, but a, a good uh, use of this was with marital divorce. Now, of course, in Malachi 2.16, God declares about this, that he's not in favor of it. In fact, he says, you know, I hate putting away. And, and really, in our hearts, every, every believer should say, yeah, I, I hate that divorce happens. You know, we realize there's, there's a lot of victims of divorce out there. We don't hate the people that are victims of divorce. But ideally, you know, what, what God is most honored with is people take a vow, come together and stay together when when that is broken there ought to be a a sense of sadness a sense of great remorse that that is occurring in that way so this idea of putting away is the idea of expelling something from one's presence i mean i know there might be some weird examples out there but typically when there's a divorce you're not together anymore you know i mean you might see each other and so forth like that but we divorce other things. We don't even talk about it. I need to do, divorce this habit out of my life. In other words, it used to be part of my life. I need it to not be part of my life. I need to take measures to get it out of my life. You see, the end never justifies the means. You make a choice to throw out these practices in our life. We shouldn't be saying, well, if I go back to it or if I allow myself these these practices of speaking a certain way, if it helps accomplish a good result, then isn't that okay? And the answer is no. It's not okay. It's not okay for anybody, let's go back to politics, for instance, it's not okay for anybody to distort the facts and reality so that a certain person might get into office. Either side, folks. Either side. So we need to avoid clouding or coloring our communication that would result in our hearers arriving in a false conclusion or even reaching what we believe is the right conclusion but based on misrepresented details. Well, you know, I, they didn't get all the facts and they believed this to be true, but they came to the right conclusion in the end. So no harm, no foul. No, that's not so. Because our objective isn't just to get people onto our side. It's to bring glory to God. And if we're not bringing glory to God in our activity, in our movements, then we have failed miserably. What are we talking about today? Magnifying Christ. So we need to make sure we're magnifying Him. 
by not distorting in our speech. Secondly, you must avoid speech that is departing. Now, this is the word perverse. Now, it may sound a little forced there, but that really is a great uh, participle, the word departing there, to use for the idea of perverse, because perverse has the connotation of turning aside. If you were to look it up in your Strong's Concordance and look at the Hebrew word behind it, you would see that that's the root meaning of the idea of perversity, turning aside. The point of similarity for both words is that hearers are led to false conclusions. Where if you turn aside, let's say you're walking, right? And you turn aside as a pedestrian. Most likely, you're not going to end up at the right destination, correct? Unless somehow you meander back and, and fix the, have a course adjustment. But the distinction here comparing froward and perverse, because he is laying these in a parallel fashion here. The distinction is that where the previous word, froward, was a distortion of the truth, perverseness is a departure from the truth. Both are a concern, but two different nuances, right? We've talked about distorting of the truth, but now we're talking about Leaving it. You know, it's not an other, well, I don't know what the truth is. I, I know what it is, and I'm getting away from that. And you might even say the first one leads to the second one. There is a deviousness that is part of perversity that leads people astray. Paul warned about distorters who would come after him even outside, even from within the church. He says, there's, there's going to be these people. So when Paul meets with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he's, he's on his way to Rome, and he calls them down, hey, can you meet me on the coast? And he gives them this, this, this long exhortation. One of the things he says to them in Acts 20, verse 30, he says, also of your own selves shall men arise. So out of your church, and maybe even means out of some of you elders. Some of you guys that do the preaching and teaching and leading, not just congregational members, out of your own selves shall men arise doing what? Speaking perverse things. Why will they do that? To draw away disciples after them, or we would say unto themselves. Now, they would never admit that that's what they're doing. But that is, in fact, subconsciously their goal. Now, Paul made a big point of saying, I'm not looking for an independent following. Some of you say, I'm of Paul. Some of you say, I'm of Paulus. Some of you say, I'm of Cephas. No, we ought to all be of Christ, right? So Paul was very big on warning about people that were trying to get their own independent followings there. That's not magnifying of Christ. And yet, there can be very deceptive things that can be said to lead people off trail. There is a sense in which this concept builds on the former, the idea of perversity, that problem being built on forwardness. One who initially clouds the truth, distorts the truth, will eventually move away from the truth. 
For example, you're driving down the road and your windshield's foggy or maybe icy. It's going to be really challenging to stay between the lines if you can't see where you're going, right? And especially if you're traveling over some kind of area, let's say not in our part of the world, but places where they're just driving over the, the wilderness area, you know, going through the Sahara or something like that. Now, you're not going to have an icy windshield there, right? But you might have still distortion with, with dirt and things like that, or a sandstorm comes up and, and you can't see. How are you going to know where to go and where to turn if, you're, if you need to make an adjustment to the right or left? You need to see. Well, this is the approach of Satan himself. Let, let's make sure we see how our enemy works. Because you know what we'll do? Is if we see it in him, we'll say, well, I don't want to be like that guy. He's wicked. Amen. But, but he doesn't want us thinking that way. So we're going to do a little Satan exposing here. Remember, Bible describes two Adams. First Adam, second Adam. We know who the first Adam is. Second Adam is who? Jesus Christ. First Adam. You know, interestingly, both had their encounters of temptation with, with Satan. Now, I know it was with Eve directly, but it was still it, through her, Satan was getting to Adam. In fact, God calls Adam on the carpet more so because, hey, you knew better. She was tricked, but you knew better. And God holds Adam primarily accountable here. And so in the temptation in the garden, Satan intentionally distorts the scripture by taking it out of context. Hath God said. He knows that when you eat of this, your eyes will be opened. Well, that was the power of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We had a good men's devotional yesterday morning uh, about the trees in the garden in that way. And, and God had it designed, even though they should never have known that because they weren't supposed to eat it. But what was Satan was saying there was a truthful statement. But what, what he was distorting, what he was leading them to believe was, your life will be better if you disregard what God is saying here. You need to, you need to get off that trail and you need to come on this trail. Fast forward to Matthew 4 and you find out, here's Jesus with the second, or Satan with the second Adam. And, and three things. And it's interesting, in, in, in the epistle of John, it talks about how all sin is categorized, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Those temptations of Christ can be categorized in those three ways right there. But I won't, I won't get off into that for this point. But ultimately, what's going on there with Satan? Satan's objective was to get his target to depart from their stand on the truth. And that is always what Satan wants to do. You say, well, I'm not Satan. You know, are you saying that I'm Satan? Well, I'm, you're not Satan. But we can inadvertently become an instrument of Satan. Case in point, Jesus looked at a man named Peter and said, get thou behind me, Satan. Now, he, he wasn't even saying that Satan was indwelling Peter but he was being used in that incident 
Jesus saw right through the deception there. I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be said of me. I don't want to be the cause of someone departing from the path of truth. I want to be cautious. So when we begin to manipulate the truth to our own liking, we eventually lose all esteem for truth, and we will depart from truth completely at some point. Sometimes people say, I don't know what happened. This individual, you know, they grew up in church. They've, they've, they've heard the Bible. I've, I've heard them even share things and share testimonies and lead a Bible study and all this. And how did they get where they are now? They're not living for God. They're in the world. You know, I don't understand what happened there. And as we begin to lose a sense of priority for truth in esteeming it, and defending it, then we will begin to lose the desire in our hearts to pay the price because truth will always excite a, a price from us. There is a cost for the truth. Are we willing to pay it? Is the truth that valuable to us? You know, it says that we need to put it far from us putting away this truth, but it, it goes on to say, uh, put it far from thee when it comes to perverse lips. Many years ago, I found in our backyard a possum. And we live in a neighborhood. I was, I was just as shocked as he was, I think, when I saw him. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the country. I didn't know what to do about a possum. Didn't really want to hurt it, but I didn't want to stay around um, because I didn't know. You know, I had small children at the time. Would it come out and bite one of my kids when I'm not there or something? At the time, we had a guy in our church who had a little bit of everything in his garage. He was the kind of guy you could go to and uh, you could say, do you happen to have this? Sure do. I mean, it was very rare that he didn't have it. And so I, I just went to him and I said, Landis? I said, uh, I got a possum. He says, preacher, I got just what you need. And that next Lord's Day, he brought me a possum trap, a little cage, and showed me how to operate it, you know. You put, put a little bit of peanut butter in one end of it, and the, the possum will come in the open end to get that peanut butter. And When she comes in, the door's going to latch on the back side, and she's, she's in there, she can't get out. Next morning, I had myself a possum. Becky cooked it up, delicious. No. <laughs> but you know, now it's like, now what do I do? <laughs> possum's looking up at me and feeling a little bit sorry for this possum. And I thought, well, I know one thing. I don't want this possum coming back. So I put it in the back of my pickup truck and I drove and I started thinking, where do I go? to release this possum. I thought, I'm just going to go a little bit above board. So I drove out Highway 9, got out to where Ori Restaurant is, crossed over the Waccamaw River, <laughs> drove down to the boat landing, went out to the fringe of the woods, opened the trap, and that little mama possum scooted out there just as quick and as happy as could be. And I thought, I think I'm safe. I don't think that possum, anyway, is going to come back. Might, might have had some friends she told about our backyard, too, but what was I doing? I wanted to put her 
far away. You know, I find sometimes as Christians, we deal with our sins lightly, you know. Say, well, I'll, I'll address it. But you know, when we get serious about something, we say, this needs to be out of my life. This, this idea of speech that can cause distractions, deviations, not only in other people's lives, but in my own life. I need, it just needs to be gone so that it never comes back again. It needs to be more gone than that possum that I have. And you know, when you're talking about that kind of removal, you're talking about maybe taking some, what we might think are extreme measures. But Jesus is all about being willing to take extreme measures, right? Your hand offend you? Your eye offend you? If that's what it takes. Because isn't your soul more valuable? So how far will you go to put tainted talk out of your life? Will you select and memorize applicable Bible verses? Oh, pastor, it's so hard at my age to memorize Scripture. Yes, I remember being a teenager. It wasn't so easy then either. So what if it takes you three months to memorize one verse on a topic that will ride around in your head and help you that the next time your mouth is ready to go, you go, oh, thank you, Lord. It just whack. Right there, it came from the back of the mind to the front of the mind. Holy Spirit pulled that sword out of its sheath. That's what it, it's right. It'll work. Will you be willing to journal your struggles in honest fashion and apply God's precepts so that you can reflect on what the Spirit of God teaches you? I mean, if it helps you. Go to the Office Depot or Walmart. Get a 3 or $4 book with just lines in it. Put the date. Start putting your meditations there. Lord, I'm praying today. And then put Bible verses in there. And It's a, it's a, a dear spiritual diary. And be very honest. You know, don't, don't put up ex, your false exteriors. That's not going to help you. But be very defined about it. And then ask the Spirit of God to teach you as you reflect on those things in your life. Will you humbly make yourself uh-oh, accountable to another believer who lovingly will keep you in check? Ladies, will you find another godly lady that will be discreet with what you share with them, but won't just pat you on the back and say, oh, I know exactly how you feel, hon. But we'll say, I'm going to be honest with you. I think you stepped out of line there. What? What kind of friend are you? The best kind of friend you can have. I'm going to tell you what. I have some friends like that. I have some pastor friends where, you know, I might go and I might gripe and complain about something. They're like, Carl, you're not looking at this right. And I'll be, supposed to be on my side, Right? And I walk away and I'm like, God, thank you for putting that person in my life. Thank you for that uncomfortable moment that put me in check, helped me to repent of my unbiblical thinking. Men, you need men. You need a godly brother where you can 
be very open and say, you know what? I had this time this past week, guys. When you pick up the phone and saying, I just need to run this by you. Am I, am, is my thinking squaring? Because I'm inside myself and I can't trust myself. Are we willing to take extreme measures to put things far from us? You know, if you struggle with a distorting or departing speech in your life, where should you begin the process of reform? It's not actually at the tongue level. In other words, I just, okay, Lord, I'm going to go to the altar today. I'm going to pray and say, I'm going to be more careful about what I say. That's, that's not where you begin. Because that's not where the problem resides. Those are the, those are the fruit on the branches. But James 3.8 tells us the tongue can no man tame. You start trying to tame the tongue, you're going to lose every time. The Bible's already told us it can't be done. You can't do it. At least not by yourself. And not in that way. It's going to require the empowerment of God's Spirit. It's going to require a constant surrender to His influence, right? Lord, I yield myself to you afresh. Also, we do not have a tongue problem. We have a heart problem. Matthew 12, 34, the last part of the verse says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's coming out here, it's because it began here. It's germinating, ruminating right in, right in here. And so when it happens like, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Well, you didn't mean it to slip out. But it's not just a matter of like that little picture of that young lady I first put up where she's like trying to, whoops. No, it's this. It's like our song says, right? Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life, or from it issues everything that deals with our life, including how we lingo. So make sure your heart is made new by the redemptive work of God's grace. In Isaiah, God told the prophet that, you know, I'm going to give to people a new heart, take away that stony heart and give a fleshly heart. He's talking about that redemption. Because man's fundamental problem is a heart problem. And only God, supernaturally, can solve that heart problem. You can't start off by just saying, I'm going to memorize a ton of Scripture. That's, that's sanctification 201. Sanct sanctification 101 is getting saved being set apart from the penalty of your sin and being placed into the body of Christ. Moving forward, then, we learn to keep our heart with all diligence and therefore watching our speech. So if we can put it this way, we're a handful, aren't we? We really are. And God loves us. Isn't that an amazing thing? Sometimes I say, God, you know, after I've just confessed something, and I'm like, God, you're still here. You haven't left me. Yet you haven't washed your hands of me. I, I can't pluck myself out of your hand. Thank you. 
May I never take that for granted. May I never be presumptuous about it. And, and may that goodness of God lead me to repentance always in our lives. So, friends, keep yourself by attention to God, being vigilant of your heart, setting a watch on your mouth. God help us. Father in heaven, thank you for your truth, your words. Help us now to be responders and not just receivers. Lord, I ask that your spirit, that's hopefully already been at work in our hearts and lives, pricking us individually as scriptures have been given, Lord, you've been dynamically working in the hearts of people. Not to say that everybody's got this huge conversation problem, but it's something that is going to crop up in all of our lives here and there along the path. And at the very least, we need to recommit a vigilance with regard to what is coming out of our mouth, but first and foremost, but the condition of our heart. And so, Lord, help us to share your concern. Help our heart to mirror your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Success demands surrender. We can't expect to have victory in our life if we're not yielded to the Lord of our life. And so, let's take the next few moments to allow you to respond to what the Word of God perhaps has done and hopefully done in your heart today. Some teaching, some pricking, whatever that the Holy Spirit says needs to be done. Maybe you just need to have a little time of prayer. The altar's open. You can come have prayer here. Kneel at the steps if you like. You're welcome to stay in your seat. But I hope that you'll be engaged. I hope you'll be responding. I hope you'll be praying to the, to the Lord as the Holy Spirit is working. Maybe making some prayer and saying, God, help me not to fall into this. I'm not sure that I actively have an issue like this, but, you know, I don't see myself as above this. You know, and I don't want to have a blind spot in my life. Maybe even though I don't know of an issue, maybe I need a personal accountability partner in my life who will lovingly call me out for my good and for your glory in my life. Help me to be willing to have that person and to love that person for doing that in my life. Maybe I need to put into practice some things like in my quiet time, journaling and being very transparent about that. Whatever it is, if the Spirit of God has worked in your heart, I hope you'll respond.